What's up and welcome to the Game Positive Podcast. I don't have a feature this week because I'm going on vacation tomorrow, but I have a ton of news to go through, so let's jump into it. But first, let's talk quickly about what I am currently playing. This list is actually quite short because I'm extremely addicted to the ranked mode in Apex Legends. The new season that dropped, as I mentioned last week, is exceptional. It's probably the best the game has ever been, in my opinion. And I just hit gold in Battle Royale, gold rank in Battle Royale last night. Maybe jump on tonight and try to hit gold in arenas before I leave, but that is still to be determined. But there's a few other things that I've been playing. One is a little bit surprising to me. Uh, which is League of Legends Wild Rift. I kind of was in a situation where I had an opportunity to play games, but I didn't have an opportunity to play them on a console. And I had my phone with me, and the my phone had automatically updated Wild Rift, so I went to check it out and ended up playing a match. Ended up getting re-addicted. Plus, obviously, uh, I had recently watched Arcane, uh, which kind of helped with that as well. This game is one of the better mobile games uh, you can play right now. I think it goes toe-to-toe with Hearthstone as possibly the best mobile game in my opinion. Obviously, in my opinion. But uh, I think that when this game hits consoles, which it's supposed to do next year, uh, hopefully early next year, I think it's going to make some big waves. Uh, League of Legends is one of the most popular games, if not the... Actually, I'm pretty confident it actually is the most popular game in the world right now. And uh, Wild Rift is a very, very good translation of that experience to mobile. And the way that they have done it, it will fit perfectly on a controller. In fact, you can even play Wild Rift on a controller and it works really, really well. I personally can't wait for this. And also with Game Pass, you're going to get all the legends unlocked for free, which is amazing in itself. So I'm kind of prepping myself for when this console release comes. I, I actually hit gold rank in Wild Rift as well. I'm gold everything at the moment. Hopefully we can level that up in the coming week. But uh, yeah, Wild Rift is extremely fun. Really, really good mobile game. And also, I'm playing a little bit of World of Warcraft Classic Burning Crusade. As the Wrath of the Lich King expansion is coming on September 26th, I'm just kind of getting all my ducks in a row, and all my dotting all my I's and crossing all my T's and making sure that uh, Thum the Orc Hunter is ready uh, to take its first steps into Northrend this September. Also, pre-patch is launching very, very soon, I believe on August 30th, and I'm going to be able to create a Death Knight, and uh, maybe I'll retire Thum the Hunter. Who knows? Maybe we'll get uh, a Death Knight rolling. I'm not 100% sure yet, but uh, I've said this many times. I know most of my listeners, if not all of my listeners, probably don't care about World of Warcraft, uh, especially World of Warcraft Classic, but I think that World of Warcraft Classic is one of the best multiplayer experiences you can have right now. It's one of the only games uh, that you can play right now that really, really puts an emphasis on social interactions, which, in my opinion, is one of the most important things in any social experience, obviously, which multiplayer gaming is. Anyways, that's all I've been playing this month, or this week, I should say, so let's jump straight in to this huge chunk of news I got. So starting things off, we have a lot of news actually on the PlayStation side of things. Uh, First and foremost is that there is speculation that Sony may be incorporating PSN or in some way creating a uh, PlayStation launcher within uh, the PC landscape. Now, obviously, it's no surprise that they have been really kind of gunning for uh, having more of a foothold on the PC market with releasing a lot of their IP as PC games in Steam and stuff like this. But uh, they don't obviously have a PC client like Xbox does. Uh, They just kind of launch their stuff on Steam. And a tweet has kind of uh, dug up a job post 
posting that PlayStation has posted for a director of product management for PC game experiences. In the tweet, they say this role will be asked to take the lead on the overall PC gaming experiences for PlayStation, including the leadership and responsibility to implement and deliver to our players worldwide. This caused some speculation that perhaps Sony will be reviving its cross-play initiative or cross-buy, sorry, initiative that it started with uh, the Vita and the PS4 back in the day, where a lot of the times you could buy a game on, I think PS3 as well, you could buy a game on one of those three platforms and you would unlock it for all of them. Uh, people are kind of hopeful that potentially you'll be able to buy a PS5 game and also unlock the place or the PC version. Uh, I can't see a world where that is the case because that is just a lot of money that will be thrown away uh, from Sony's like first party. And that's something that they have constantly talked about not wanting to do that's why you don't see day one games on playstation premium but what this could mean is that they will incorporate psn features like achievements and and data tracking specifically which is going to be integral for their service games that they are going to be, be releasing over the next few years if you want to have stuff like uh cross progression which i would imagine is going to be important in any kind of service-based game that has both a pc and a console client being able to sync those profiles and uh and make sure that all the entitlements between your accounts are synced within themselves uh, on PSN is going to be vital for any game that's going to launch uh, as a free-to-play service game on both console and PC. And also, if they have a storefront in this kind of PlayStation PC uh, application, then having things like trophies would make people a lot more likely to buy them buy the games in that storefront. Now, I know that not everybody is kind of uh, like obsessed with trophies or achievements, but you'd be surprised how many people are and you would be surprised how many people will make a purchase decision based on whether or not they can unlock them. Myself, I would be way more likely to buy a PC game that's not on Game Pass on the Xbox or Windows store because it will have achievements than I would be on Steam. I almost purchased nothing on Steam uh, or nothing on the Epic Game Store if I can buy it elsewhere and get those achievements. And if I can get trophies on PC, well, then I'm going to be spending more money there. And that's less money that Sony will have to split with the likes of Epic or Valve with Steam sales and stuff like that. So hopefully we'll see more on that in the future. Uh, a PlayStation PC app would be pretty cool. As, and it's going to be vital, in my opinion, uh, when they do start rolling out these service-based games. And we're supposed to see 10 of them in the next few years. Or I think I think they said by 2026, they're going to have 10 new service-based games. So multiplayer-centric service-based games. And uh, those games will be way more successful if there's a PC version. And the kind of cross-progression between those accounts will be much easier if Sony has kind of an interface that they can connect their consoles to with uh, a PlayStation PC app. Next up in the PlayStation Nation, we have the new games being added to the PlayStation Plus Extra service. Uh, this month for August, you have Bug Snacks, which is a fantastic game that was also included with PS Plus at the PS5 launch. You have Dead by Daylight, Ghosts, Recon, Wildlands, Metro Exodus, Monopoly Madness, Monopoly Plus, Trials of Mana, Uno, Wheel of Fortune, and Yakuza 0, Yakuza Kiwami, and Yakuza Kiwami 2. Now, that in and of itself is a pretty good lineup for the PS Plus Extra tier, but one thing that has some people upset, uh, myself included to a certain extent, is that the PS Plus Premium tier, which is the most uh, 
an expensive tier you could subscribe to. That's personally what I'm subscribed to. Uh, they actually have added literally nothing to that tier this month. Um, the, usually that tier, the main benefit of that is that you can get access to classic games from PlayStation 3 via streaming or PS2, PS1, and PSP uh, via download. And there are some really awesome entries on there that you can access, uh, especially the PS2 kind of remakes that they did for PS4. Most of those are already on there. They came at launch. But uh, for them to have a whole month where they add nothing to that tier, especially considering this is like the second or third month that this service has existed for, that's a little bit concerning. Now, there is a small sliver of stuff they did add, which the other side of the premium tier is that they offer the free trials of games, and they did add a trial of Rollerdrome and also a hefty discount for Rollerdrome if you did buy it after the trial. But the trial is only an hour long, and speculation had kind of made people think that the trials would be a minimum of two hours, which obviously is not the case. And there are a lot of people that are actually reporting that this hour trial of Rollerdrome has only actually given them about 30 minutes, which uh, is a little bit concerning. Um, I'm not sure what to think of this. It's very weird that uh, I'm paying extra for this uh, premium tier and not getting anything for this month. I'm not willing to kind of panic yet or like pull out my pitchforks just yet. I, If this starts to become a problem that uh, is consecutive or something that's happening more often than not, then I will uh, probably start to feel a little bit of buyer's remorse. But at least we have a lot of great games being added to the PS Plus Extra service. If you weren't able to snag Bug Snacks on PS Plus when the PS5 released, I highly recommend that game. It's one of my favorite games of 2020. Next up, even more PlayStation news with the studio director of Team Asobi having an interview with Game Industry Biz. Uh, his name is Nicholas Doucette. Team Asobi, for those that don't know, are the team responsible for the likes of Astro's Playroom uh, or Astrobot Rescue Mission on PSVR. And in the interview, they gave a little bit of insight as to what might be next for the studio. A quote from Nicholas here says, we have a current production and that's going fine, Doucette said, but we want to have another group for R&D and we want enough in this group to explore as many areas that are interesting and to potentially start other projects. Now this R&D group that they are referring to is kind of a, a splinter of the main team. The main team uh, from what he has said is working on the biggest project that this studio has ever worked on uh, which is good to see. You love to see further investment into talented teams and you like to see uh, their next projects kind of one up their previous projects in terms of scope and scale and stuff like that. Uh, but what's really interesting is that they have this kind of splinter group that is constantly doing R&D work for their next project. And they say in the further in the interview, he goes on to say that they often will kind of trade them out for fresh minds and put those people that were previously working on R&D into the main project that the team's working on and put some more people out there in R&D. And that kind of philosophy really, really shows up in their games because if you've played uh, Astro's Playroom, which if you haven't, I 100% recommend doing that. It's free on PS5. It's I think it's actually pre-installed on the PS5. So you have no excuses if you haven't played it. It's a fantastic game. And in my opinion, it's one of the best tributes I've ever seen for... Uh, like a platform like this. I would love to see something like this on Xbox or Nintendo. Uh, I think Nintendo might be the only team that could kind of compete because Xbox, uh, even though I'm a huge Xbox fan, that's there's no question there. They just don't 
necessarily have the legacy yet that PlayStation does. And this Astro's Playroom really, really draws on that old lineage, that that huge legacy that Sony has. But what really shines with Team Asobia and their work, especially with Astro, is that they are just so creative. Astro Bot Rescue Mission is one of the best VR games ever. And it's not because it has the best graphics or it has the best locomotion or it has the most immersion or anything like that. But it's because it's the most creative use of the medium I've seen. It's a 3D platformer like Mario Odyssey or maybe a better comparison is like Super Mario 3D World. But it is just so creative. It has such a creative use of the headset where it plays with foreground and background. It plays with uh, the bot hiding behind things and, and the different 3D sound you can get out of VR. The boss fights are really fun as well. It's so charming. They're just such a great studio and their games being constantly filled with these innovative ideas I think might stem from this kind of philosophy they have to development where they're constantly trying to squeeze as much creativity out of uh, their teammates in kind of an isolated way so they're not always they don't have everybody fully focused on just the task at hand but also constantly looking to the future so the fact that this kind of philosophy is being maintained but the next game that they're making is much bigger and much, uh, uh, I guess, more expensive because it's the scope is higher and the team is growing. Uh, that makes me very intrigued to see what's coming up next. Uh, just like I'm excited to see what's coming up next for literally any Sony studio because we're still waiting on that showcase to come uh, and show us what's coming next as they were more or less absent from the Summer Games Fest E3 uh, window this year. Hopefully that's coming very soon with Sony. They usually announce it a few days before, so it literally could come at any time. Although, please, Sony, don't make it next week as I'm on vacation. I would like to be able to watch this in 4K. And uh, the internet where I'm going definitely is not going to let me do that. But yes, are you excited for what's coming next with Team Asobi? Have you played Astrobot uh, or Astro's Playroom? Uh, if you haven't, you definitely should. But those games are great. Can't wait to see what's coming up. This news excites me. Let's move on. After just spending all of that time gushing about a Sony first-party studio and why I'm so excited to see what's next from them and all the other Sony first-party studios, we have some news coming from a second-party relationship that Sony has with UK-based development house Ballistic Moon. This report is coming via Push Square, and it has a really kind of interesting angle here. Uh, the report says that after some seriously impressive sleuthing on Reset Era, they are suggesting that Sony has signed English developer Ballistic Moon to create a PS5 exclusive. The Farnborough-based firm, founded in 2019, claims on its LinkedIn page that it's working with a, quote, world-leading publisher on an exciting Unreal 5 project. Earlier in the month, it posted up photographs of a motion capture session with an actress playing two different characters called Emily and Hannah. And that actress has listed the work on her portfolio as, quote, Project Bates, published by none other than Sony Interactive Entertainment. So when you put it all together, it looks like Sony is partnering with Ballistic Moon uh, to make a, I'm guessing, a narrative-based game, since they're doing motion face and voice capture with this actress, uh, codenamed Project Bates. Uh, and they're also obviously publishing that. Much even more fascinating is the director for this Project Bates is listed as Joshua Archer, who has also worked on games such as Horizon Zero Dawn and Until Dawn. Both games have fantastic stories, fantastic motion capture, and are fantastic narratives. And also both published by Sony and PlayStation exclusives, of course. It's likely that this game is being seen over 
by Sony XDev, the Liverpool-based unit that is responsible for exclusives developed outside of the kind of PlayStation first-party team. Uh, this Sony XDev has previously collaborated with such teams, such second-party kind of relationships as what they did with Quantic Dream on titles like Detroit Become Human. Now, this is obviously really, really cool because like I had mentioned in the last segment, I'm super excited to see what's coming from Sony first party. But Sony, I, I would say, honestly, I think that Sony probably puts out the best games when they're partnering with second party. I'm not saying that these games are better than their first party or or whatever. I'm just saying that if you look at the games that other publishers partner with when they're partnering with studios that are outside of their first party, I think that Sony, and it's potentially due to the the talented people at Sony XDev or just their producers and their publishers, whatever the reason is, or maybe it's just blind luck, who knows? Maybe they just picked the best projects. But when I look at things like Kena and like Detroit Become Human, for example, hopefully and potentially this Project Bates, they just seem to always nail it. Sifu's another one. Uh, they just seem to always nail it when it comes to collaborating with these teams. Uh, Stray, obviously, Roller Drome. They're just coming to my head right now. But they do a really good job of partnering with Second Party, building these relationships, implying their influence, which is a good thing. Like they, so Sony makes fantastic games. Uh, uh, if you have ever watched the Game Awards, you'll see them there literally all the time. Uh, and they kind of bring the best out of these second party studios, or at the very least, they just create a really awesome working relationship. And the outcomes of those relationships are often really good games. So really excited to see what happens here. The fact that this had to be discovered through like re reset era sleuthing kind of makes me feel like this game is really far off. Uh, so we'll wait and see on what it actually uh, is and when it actually comes out. But uh, nonetheless, more games coming from Sony XDev, more games coming uh, from Sony Publishing is a good thing in my eyes. And speaking of Sony second parties, don't you just love how all these segments are just flowing together? It's almost like I planned this. Anyway, speaking of Sony second party developers, studio head of developer Camouflage, Ryan Payton, has updated a statement on their website where they say that for the sixth year running the studio's history, they are going all in on virtual reality and also strengthening our partnerships with longtime collaborators. If you are, don't know, they are the team, Camouflage is the team, that made Marvel's Iron Man VR, which was a really big seller for PSVR. It was actually a game that uh, was bundled with the console at one point. It actually is still the only bundle that exists if you are looking to purchase PSVR uh, in 2022 and it was a big seller for them and also coincidentally it was a really really fun game and a really interesting take on Iron Man suit flight with the use of the the move controllers and stuff like that camouflage is another uh, one of those studios that has partnered with PlayStation in a second party relationship and has spawned a really cool game uh, coming out of that relationship, which is nice to see. It's cool to see that this studio is committed to VR and committed to kind of strengthening their relationship with existing collaborators, which you have to assume that that's Sony because Sony obviously is uh, preparing to launch the PlayStation VR 2. Uh, Iron Man VR is relatively uh, old. I believe it came out in 2020. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, that gives them a little bit of time to have potentially something ready 
to definitely something ready to show, potentially at the PSVR 2 reveal showcase whenever that is, uh, or whether that gets mixed in with a regular state of play, I don't know. But potentially, it's something that could also launch with the, the system itself. We know that they have first-party uh, games being built for PSVR 2, like we've seen Horizon Call of the Mountain. Uh, but usually those big expensive pieces of hardware has to launch with some killer applications uh, for early adopters. So if Camouflage is releasing a new game, potentially an Iron Man 2 or maybe something else in an established IP, maybe a different Marvel character or something, or potentially just a completely unique IP, or they could even again borrow from a existing PlayStation IP like Horizon Call of the Mountain is. Either way, it's nice to see, again, more strong second-party relationships from PlayStation Studios, as well as people diving in and 100% embracing VR, because I am a believer in VR, and I can't wait for the PlayStation VR 2. All right, that's enough Sony for now. Let's jump into some Xbox news. This report is coming from purexbox.com and it's related to the fact that Hideo Kojima is sort of teasing a work in progress trailer for an upcoming project. And the only upcoming project that we know about from Hideo Kojima or Kojima Productions is what they announced at E3, the project that they, he's working on with Xbox Game Studio. Uh, basically, Hideo Kojima has tentatively, has tweeted, sorry, an image of uh, his video editing software with the caption, Tent tentatively finished editing for now. Uh, and yeah, we're really just kind of speculating here, but there are some kind of nuggets that are lining up and, and actually making this a story. Uh, first of all, the... Uh, tease that Xbox Game Pass PC has kind of been teasing over the last few days about uh, Death Stranding actually coming to the PC Game Pass service has come to life and they have announced that that game will be coming to Game Pass PC on August 23rd, which coincidentally is the day that Gamescom is happening and Hideo Kojima is best friends with Jeff Keighley, who is the one who runs the Gamescom opening night live. And basically, any time that he announces anything, Jeff Keighley is usually involved in some way. The strangest thing, in my opinion, about the announcement of him working with Xbox is not that he's working with Xbox, but that he, he announced it not on a stage with Jeff Keighley, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So... I am curious to see what this game is. There's a lot of weird kind of speculation about it. Uh, there's reports saying that it's cloud-based in some way. Uh, initially, that was a turnoff for me because I thought it was going to be like a game that you play in the cloud. But uh, more reports are coming out and saying that that's not the case. It is a traditional game. It just implements the cloud into different gameplay mechanics, which is probably more related to uh, data and not necessarily like not playing the game on, on actual Xbox hardware. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see what happens with this. I, I think this is a like, why else would you make this tweet if you're not planning on showing something soon? I don't think Xbox is going to have like a showcase very soon, like soon enough for where this tweet is relevant in any way. And the only thing that's coming soon is Gamescom. Uh, so Let's stay tuned for that. I'll actually be on vacation again while this is happening. So my kind of coverage or reactions to that will be late, but they will come and they'll probably come the week after I return. So, uh, yeah, what do you guys think? Is this going to be a, a trailer perhaps for this? The other thing to think about, too, is if uh, the, he has a trailer or tease or something ready to show for Gamescom, like, why wouldn't he have anything ready to show at the Xbox conference for E3? You think that whatever he's going to show would hit harder then? 
uh, which wasn't too long ago. Like a month or two is not a ton of time when it comes to game development. And if this is like kind of a out of engine kind of really weird tease, like what we originally got with Death Stranding, you'd think that they would have had that ready to go. So that's kind of a, a point that's against it possibly showing up. This literally could just be Hideo Kojima messing with everybody, uh, which he is known to do as well. So I guess we'll wait till Gamescom and see what comes of this. Some more news on the kind of Xbox front. It's about Call of Duty and Xbox is about to own Activision. So they're about to own Call of Duty. So I'm considering this to be Xbox news. It's regarding the release of Modern Warfare 2. No, it has not been delayed, but there is a change uh, to the game's release. And that is that Activision has confirmed that if you pre-order Modern Warfare 2 digitally, uh, you'll actually get access to the campaign a week before uh, the game's kind of posted release date. So be able to play the campaign a week before you're tempted to jump into multiplayer and never look at the campaign again. Now, this is really awesome because I think most people, for, for most people, I should say, because spoiler, I don't think this is really that awesome. But this is really good for people that uh, fall into that trap of kind of being so, sort of or somewhat interested in the campaign, but uh, not really able to pull themselves away from multiplayer uh, to get <laughs> to actually play the campaign. A lot of people like work nine to five, come home from work, do whatever they got to do in the, in the evening and then hang out with their buddies at night and play Call of Duty. And if your buddies are online, send you invites and party invites, then uh, you're not going to be playing campaign. So this kind of gives you a buffer where you can get that out of the way before you get dragged into multiplayer. And obviously this is kind of nice because they're not forcing you to buy like the ultimate version of the game or spend more money in, in one way or another. You can pre-order the base version of the game that you're going to buy anyway and just play the campaign early. Great news, right? Uh, yes and no. This is selfish, by the way, because I think that this is more or less good news for the majority of people that are going to be playing Call of Duty, but not for me, because I pre-ordered the Steelbook Edition from GameStop to get the awesome-looking Steelbook, and I can't get that early to play campaign. I can only... Uh, get that at the regular release date. And on top of that, I'm supposed to be doing a review for Modern Warfare 2, and I'm not going to be getting a code from Xbox or Activision, sorry, uh, to get it early, to play it early like a lot of other uh, people at other outlets are because I'm just like a nobody kind of on uh, on Twitter. But I'll be buying the game with my own money to review it, and I will be uh, at the very least a week late on my review as the reviews are probably going to come out uh, before the campaign uh, releases or some sort of embargo around there, which I was okay with missing. But now I'm going to have to wait an extra week after everybody's already played the campaign and the review is kind of going to lose a lot of wind from its sales. Now, that is a very much me problem. It's, again, not a problem that almost anybody's going to face. Not only do almost nobody uh, like buy physical games anymore, they usually buy digital now, but also uh, <laughs> like most people don't really care about my review, if I'm being honest, like it's going to be watched by maybe 50 people. So that's fine, but I'm still a little grumpy about this. Either way, uh, it's important to know that if you were planning on getting Call of Duty, but you're just waiting to buy it day of for whatever reason, you may want to consider doing that pre-order so you can play the campaign a week before the multiplayer launches in full on October 28th. Some more news that's kind of a follow-up to last week, and that is that THQ Nordic did, in fact, have its showcase. Last week's episode, I talked about the potential of a Alone in the Dark revival of some sort, and would you not know it, the very first thing they showed at the showcase was the new Alone in the Dark 
trailer. The trailer, for the most part, uh, didn't really show a ton of gameplay, but it did do a really good job of showcasing the tone and kind of the setting. The game is going to take place in kind of a creepy Louisiana setting. It really honestly gave me a lot of vibes of season three, I believe, of American Horror Story. I think American Horror Story Coven, that show was kind of about like supernatural witches and stuff like that, but it all took place in kind of older Louisiana, like the bayou, you know what I mean? And that's kind of the vibes I'm getting here. It looks really, really good. Like I said, Alone in the Dark has a really big soft spot for me in my gaming history. So I am excited to check that out. And that's a game I'll be getting on day one. Some other announcements that they had there was a kind of showcase trailer for Destroy All Humans 2 Repro, which is the remake for Destroy All Humans 2. The remake for Destroy All Humans 1 was really, really good. That's actually on Game Pass, if I'm not mistaken. So nice to see number two. They kind of went into a lot of detail there. It looks just the same as number one, which in and of itself was good. Uh, they showed that they are remaking the Gothic game. It's a game I've never really played, but I know that uh, it had a pretty good following on PC at least. So it's nice to see that coming to console. Uh, it looked okay to me. I, I definitely want to play it to, to really make a, an actual determination of, of what's going on here. Uh, I have to keep in mind that it is a remake of a, 20, a 2001 game. And although it's not a simple kind of remaster where they're just upping the resolution, there's definitely more to it than that. It still obviously has the sensibilities of a 2001 PC action RPG so it's a little bit rough around the edges but I think that's kind of what the fans would want in my opinion so we'll see how that one lands uh, a new trailer for Outcast 2 was revealed Outcast is kind of a cult classic uh, third person action adventure game that also was kind of remastered recently and this is I guess a remaster of the sequel could be completely wrong on that I'm not really um, like well versed on that franchise but the gameplay did look a little bit interesting uh, Way of the Hunter a trailer which is a hunting simulator uh, hunting simulators have a very surprising kind of uh, following they're actually there's a lot of them being made by different studios which tells you that they're successful in some way it's not something that i would ever play i'm not a hunter and even if i was i don't know if i'd want to simulate that in a video game when i could be doing or or, or fighting much more uh, imposing make-believe things like dragons and stuff like that like why would i want to hunt it anyways uh there clearly is an op like a huge uh audience for stuff like this and this one uh, at least from what i could see it looked very realistic it looked very like the graphics fidelity was very good hopefully it's immersive to people that are hunters and they can really dive into this and uh, and get a kick out of it one of the hugest announcements in my opinion was the announcement of recreation which is uh uh, basically, it's developed by Three Fields Entertainment, which uh, is features creators from the original Burnout and and kind of the older Need for Speed games. Uh, and it's designed to kind of be an open world crashing simulator sandbox. So uh, Burnout 3 Takedown is on many people's lists of best games of all time. And there really hasn't been anything that mirrors that since then. And that was an ex original Xbox, original PS2 game. Um, and... People just want to drive cars really fast in an arcadey manner and crash them and, and see like huge car wrecks. Like that's that's a subgenre of racing that has been underserved for decades. So it's nice to see that they're finally kind of uh, serving up something for that community. And this game looks like it might fit the bill. Some other cool announcements was a teaser for an all elite wrestling game uh, that's being developed by THQ Nordic. Um, it's actually being developed by Ukes, uh, Ukes Co, I believe is the name of the developer, or maybe it's called Ukes Interactive, but they actually produced a lot of the older wrestling games for like N64, PS1, PS2, which are games that I loved. So if they can kind of nail the gameplay 
and and kind of capture the zaniness and craziness of AEW, which I'm not, I don't watch a ton of wrestling anymore, but uh, I have watched a little bit of AEW and they definitely are crazy over there. So if they can kind of get that uh, and bottle it up and make a really fun kind of a party style wrestling game, that's not necessarily a sim wrestler, if you know what I mean, like a more arcadey, like the uh, WCW versus NWO on N64 or SmackDown, Here Comes the Pain on PS2. That type of game would be really, really fun. Uh, they also showed some a, a gameplay trailer of the new SpongeBob uh, 3D platformer, the Cosmic Shake. Looked really good, but the big thing came at the very, very, very end where they basically showed nothing, but they did confirm that they are working on a new South Park game. Now, South Park, The Stick of Truth, and uh, The Fractured Butthole are not only amazing games for South Park fans, not only probably the best single episode of a South Park show, because like each game is essentially uh, like a huge South Park movie based on its story, because the games are not small. They're uncensored. They're hilarious. They're probably the best single stories in South Park history outside of probably Make Love Not Warcraft. Not only that. But uh, they are also really fun RPGs. Both of them were, especially Stick of Truth, which was made by Obsidian. They're just fantastic, and I would love to play a third one. Um, the way that they showed this, where they didn't reveal anything other than confirming that it exists, makes me feel like it's pretty far off. But uh, the fact that it exists fills me with hope and happiness, and I can't wait to play it. <laughs> buy that for a dollar another piece of news comes from the acquisition side of things and that is that one sleepless night where we were when we were all in bed uh embracer group was wide awake and they basically acquired everything they acquired middle the, like they basically acquired middle earth <laughs> they acquired the rights to all of the lord of the rings uh, properties they acquired tripwire interactive which made man eater which is a really really fun game they acquired limited run games which is probably the biggest kind of outfit uh for producing physical copies of uh limited run or limited print games uh they are a huge uh kind of symbol in the game collecting community and it's kind of interesting that they're now owned by a publisher that has their own IP. I'm hoping that that doesn't change how Limited Run operates because I still want them to be able to uh, reprint or or have runs of games that are not published by Embracer Group uh, because even though Embracer Group clearly is gobbling up everything, they don't own everything yet and there are a lot of games that Limited Run produces that are, again, published by publishers that are not Embracer Group. So hopefully there's Something that's, uh, I wouldn't imagine they would sell themselves uh, to Embracer Group if that was going to be an issue, but it's worth pointing out. Uh, some lesser known studios as well were acquired, Geotech, Bitwave, Singtrix, uh, Tatsujin, a Japanese developer, and Tuxedo Labs. They This is on top of them acquiring the entire western arm of Square Enix, where they have the likes of the IPs of the likes of Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, Legacy of Cain, uh, and, and they... Also had previously already owned uh, Gearbox, so they have access to Borderlands and stuff like that. This is Embracer Group is growing to be uh, massive. And, and keep in mind, before all of this, they were already pretty big and had a lot of IP and a lot of studios under their belt. Now, what a lot of people are looking at is uh, the the acquisition of the Lord of the Rings IP. Now, it's way too early to kind of say anything, but uh, the fact that uh, Amazon's Lord of the Rings show is about to come out. Uh, it's going to kind of reignite uh, fans of the series. Hopefully, hopefully the show is really good. But uh, there hasn't really been a a Lord of the Rings game that has kind of 
had the full triple A red carpet rolled out for it. Uh, we have Lord of the Rings Gollum coming soon, which is a double A game. Uh, there was a very rough indie card game based on Lord of the Rings IP. So it kind of seemed like the, the, the holdings company or whomever, the, um, the people that owned the IP and were kind of uh, licensing it out, they kind of were doing it um, to whatever deal they could find. There wasn't, it didn't seem like there was a lot of concern over what the end product was going to be for what they were licensing it for, which that kind of flips where Embracer Group's main goal is to make good games so that people will buy them so that they can make money off of them. Like they are invested in the outcome of uh, the use of the IP and not just in licensing the IP. So if you if you just hold the IP and that's that's what you have and some company is going to give you money to use it um, and you're confident that whatever they do can't really damage the IP too much because there's some separation there, you might be willing to license it to a, a product that's not going to end up being that good. But Embracer, Embracer Group sorry, doesn't have that luxury because when they use this expensive IP, I don't know the details of the uh, the deal, but I'm assuming they paid a pretty penny for freaking Lord of the Rings. They are invested in the outcome. So when they license that game to, let's say, uh, Crystal Dynamics to make a open world Tomb Raider style Lord of the Rings game, they want to make sure that that game is good. They have an investment in the outcome of that game because if it's not good, it's not going to sell. They're not going to make money. But if it is good, they could create a franchise. They could sell tons of copies. They could make sequels. So they are going to be very selective and uh, put a lot of care into where this IP goes. And we could see some of the best Lord of the Rings games ever come out of this, which uh, has me very excited. But uh, yeah, that's that's a huge kind of acquisition spree that just kind of happened uh, in the wee hours of the evening and was kind of a shock to wake up to. But Embr Embracer Group is a huge player now in the video game sphere, and they are constantly, constantly growing. So we'll have to keep an eye on them. And finally, in the news, we have the QuakeCon celebration. QuakeCon, for those that don't know, is an annual celebration that originated as a massive Quake LAN party back in the 90s and has since become an annual event for Bethesda where they kind of do a lot of reveals and obviously play a lot of Quake in a LAN party at a giant hotel. Now, there has been some cool stuff that has come out of QuakeCon. For instance, they have added a few extra games to Game Pass PC, the likes of Elder Scrolls Legends, Battlespire, Quake Champions. Quake Champions is actually a free-to-play uh, Quake shooter or hero shooter, but they're going to actually give you some uh, in-game content via Game Pass. Uh, they're adding Quake 4. They're adding Return to Castle Wolfenstein, which was a really awesome game I played on the original Xbox. They're adding the Elder Scrolls Adventure Redguard, and they're adding Wolfenstein 3D to Xbox Game Pass PC. And also on the Microsoft Store, they're making Elder Scrolls Arena and Elder Scrolls Daggerfall free for everybody, regardless if you have a Game Pass subscription or not. For those who don't know, Arena and Daggerfall are technically Elder Scrolls 1 and Elder Scrolls 2. Uh, Elder Scrolls Bladespire is kind of a dungeon-crawling PvP spin-off game that they made. And Elder Scrolls Redguard is a uh, third-person action-adventure game that they made uh, as well. That's kind of a spin-off. Both of those came right before Morrowind, and I'm sure you know the Elder Scrolls history post Morrowind. Uh, in terms of announcements, uh, for ESO, they had the announcement reveal trailer for the Lost Depths DLC. This is part of the Legacy of Bretons, which is their year-long kind of story arc. Uh, how their kind of uh, 
content release cadence works is uh, kind of interesting and also really impressive because they haven't missed a beat even with COVID with this stuff. What they typically do is they release a uh, three DLCs and a chapter every year. Usually there's one DLC. Uh, and for those that don't know as well, a DLC is kind of a pretty nice chunk of content. Uh, it's usually a, a few quest lines, a couple maybe new dungeons, some some balance updates and some new gear and stuff like that. It's a, a lot of games. Honestly, this would qualify as an expansion for, for some games. Uh, that's what a DLC is. And then an, a chapter is basically an, an expansion where it's going to add huge new zones, a big giant story arc. Uh, usually the biggest gameplay additions come there. Like for example, High Isle was the chapter for this year, which added the region of High Isle, High Isle and like the kind of uh, the card game mechanic that comes with that and the huge storyline and stuff like that. So Lost Depths is the the upcoming DLC. The trailer was kind of neat. They showcased some, some of the uh, new dungeons that will be coming with it. One of them in particular looked really, really cool. It was a completely underwater. Uh, it showed a video of the your kind of dungeon party walking on the bottom of a sea floor with like this kind of air bubble around you, which looked really nice. Uh, I, I, I'm not an MMO like expert. I haven't played every single thing that's ever existed, but I have played a lot and I have never seen anything like that. So that looked really interesting to check out. They also confirmed the, the storyline for these is revolving around a rogue clan of druids called Firesong druids that are kind of wreaking havoc, uh, on the world of Tamriel and they did reveal at the end that the name of the next DLC, which is supposed to come this fall, is called Elder Scrolls Firesong. So clearly whatever conflict or storyline kind of happens in this Lost Depths DLC, uh, it's going to continue on into the fall with the release of the final chapter. Typically near around New Year's, like either right before uh, New Year's or right after New Year's, they have a showcase where they reveal uh, the year of content you can expect. So it'd be interesting to see if whatever this conflict is with the Firesong Druids, if that continues into the next year of content, potentially, sorry, has implications on whatever the next chapter is going to be. So that was ESO. That's what they showed for ESO. Uh, they also showed some stuff for Fallout 76. They did something really interesting, which I wish more uh, developers would do. Uh, Kev Duet for is a kind of YouTuber content creator that really he, he does a lot of general stuff, but he really focuses in on ESO and Fallout 76. Um, and they actually had him a youth, like kind of a, a YouTuber that's not part of Bethesda, uh, but is very knowledgeable on their products. He did a panel interview with three developers uh, from Fallout 76, which is just really nice to see. It really kind of bridges the gap a little bit between the community and the people that are making the game for the community. Uh, in that discussion, they discuss a lot of stuff, uh, but they did confirm that the pit, the new kind of uh, DLC for Fallout 76 is going to be launching on September 13th. Uh, they did announce that it's going to come as a free update, but also there will be DLC bundles available at launch that will give you different cosmetics uh, and different camp items. They announced that the battle pass for that season will be Nuka-Cola themed, and they announced a really interesting kind of addition to the game, a quality of life change, uh, where they'll be adding a free cam building mode for building your camps. Uh, for those that don't know or haven't played Fallout 76, you do have this um, kind of machine that you get in the tutorial, which allows you to kind of uh, build this massive camp that you can customize. You can... You can get furniture and you can build them. You can build these huge things. There's been videos of users that have built entire cities as their camp with different stores and stuff like that. You can hire NPCs to kind of live in your camp and like different merchants and stuff like that. There's people that have made camps that are 
doctor's offices, uh, pharmacies, and they will sell medication to other players, which is just like really the Fallout 76 community um, is secretly one of the best communities in gaming. Uh, the game also has come a very long way from its launch, especially after the update uh, for, for Series X, like the FPS boost that really makes the gameplay a lot smoother. And they just continually are adding content to the game. Uh, and all of the major beats, like the major storylines, the quests and all that stuff, that's all free. They really are only charging for cosmetics. So um, there's never really a bad time to jump back into Fallout 76. And with the pit coming, which they confirmed is kind of one of their biggest kind of areas outside the initial launch of Appalachia, uh, it might be a good time to, to check that out on September 13th. And finally, the main attraction to QuakeCon was the Redfall panel. They had a 20-plus minute panel with Redfall developers who were kind of going over uh, some of the ins and outs of the game, doing kind of a deep dive. There wasn't a ton of new actual content shown, like in terms of gameplay or new trailers or stuff like that, but there is a lot of interesting information there. Uh, they talk about how the setting of the game they chose specifically as like small-town Americana to kind of create this familiar vibe they wanted to go for something that really hasn't been done before uh at least to this scale uh they say that this is the biggest world that they've ever created one of the quotes that they had said was that uh as a joke when they were constructing this kind of farm area which serves uh as a kind of backdrop for one mission in the game just one mission uh this farm area they would they actually had dropped in the entire Talos space station from uh, prey into the farm area and the farm area was bigger than the entirety of the Talos space station which is for the most part the vast majority of where prey takes place so that gives you an idea of the scale of Redfall uh, they talk about it being a game that is centered uh, both it's an open world game that's centered both around single player and multiplayer so there is a dynamic where they have uh, you have different perks you can unlock for your weapons and for your characters and they design these perks to be effective in both helping you as a single player but also having elements that will impact and help your team so you can build a character out that and, and just play the game by yourself and you're not going to feel like i have abilities or i have upgrade options that are really not going to help me because they're designed around team play and I'm not playing as a team. They're taking that into consideration and making it so that you can really play this as a single player game if you want to, or obviously play it in co-op. They talk about the dynamic weather system, the day and night cycle, uh, random weather effects that can happen and the random spawning of enemies that really keeps things fresh. So if you're playing the same level over again, it might not actually play out the same way, which is really nice to see. That really kind of emphasizes the sandbox nature of this game. It's not a, uh, a game that's just completely reliant on randomization, but it's also not a game that's on rails where you can kind of master a level and, and speed run it and just kind of find out all the exploits and get through something because it's going to change every time that you, you, you step in there. Uh, they did take some time to emphasize that Redfall is not a horror game per se. It's more just a, a spooky game. They're not using or relying on jump scares or anything like that, but just kind of creating a creepy atmosphere. So in my opinion, that kind of means it's a lot more like Left 4 Dead than it is like uh, Resident Evil or Outlast. So in Left 4 Dead, yes, it's dark and gloomy and spooky. And and maybe if you if you happen to look the right way at the right time, you might get a, a little bit spooked by a like a, a prowler that jumps out at you but the game's not scary it's not trying to like get you with jump scares or anything like that so anybody that's kind of 
weary about horror games. They shouldn't have any issues with Redfall. It's more about the action and the and atmosphere, not about jump scares and 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 kind of letting you get really shocked by something. Uh, they touched on the story a little bit, uh, which is kind of a unique take on vampires. Uh, essentially, the basis of the story of Redfall is that uh, a group of scientists kind of moved to to Redfall, Massachusetts, to kind of open up a biotech uh, lab that was doing studies on human longevity, like extending the human life. And uh, these scientists are very wealthy, very shady, uh, and they did some, I guess, let's say, uh, not really ethical things and ended up discovering a formula that can turn them into vampire. So vampires, sorry, which is a little bit different than kind of the traditional way that you, the vampire story is told where it's like a disease that kind of infects an unknowing or unwilling host. And then that host has a heart deep down, but they have these urges that makes them evil. No, in Redfall, these are bad people that discover a way to become worse by becoming vampires. So the people that became vampires before they became vampires were already corrupt, evil people. So there is a no like sympathetic vampires or anything like that, which is and the fact that it is kind of a uh, biochemical reason or like a, a scientific reason why they're becoming vampires and not like a weird disease or curse or something like that. It's kind of a unique take. Uh, as well. And then obviously, once these scientists have become vampires and became super powerful, they took over the town and you become trapped in it. And then you have to find out how to get out or how to get rid of them or whatever the main kind of uh, uh, thing that pulls you along the story is. On top of the vampires, you also have the cultists who are just kind of obsessed with vampires, wanting to become vampires. But they go on to say that um, the vampires have the ability to, yes, convert cultists into more vampires, but they also have the ability to convert them into kind of like crazy, weird monsters, which they choose to do more often than not. One example they gave was this kind of mutant human blood bag where the human is still recognizably human, but like mostly they just overproduce blood and they act as kind of like almost like cows to the vampires and they, the art for this game just really jumps off the page and what they did show in terms of enemy variety looked really, really interesting. Um, and touching more on the art, they talked about, um, how they wanted to kind of have this unique art style for the vampires. They wanted to kind of make them look like sophisticated humans with kind of a vampire twist uh, as sort of like the baseline things. But then they also have like what they are calling vampire gods, which are probably like the, maybe, I don't know, the lead scientists or the most evil scientists that took the most, I don't know, vampire juice. And they're the most powerful and they're going to look the most demonic and stuff like that, uh, which is really cool. They talked about the characters in the game. They say some are from the island, some are not. So they have multiple perspectives on the situation. Uh, they gave an example of uh, of Jacob being one of the more stealth-oriented characters. So there's different play styles as well, as some characters are kind of more guns blazing. So you can really pick your path. And then even when you do select a character, like I would mentioned earlier, they all have these kind of advanced skill trees. So even if me and you are playing the same character, we might be playing them in different ways and going down different paths on the skill tree. So you can kind of really make any character your own, which is really nice. 
Uh, they touched on the gameplay a little bit. They wanted to make sure that people knew that, yes, this is a, a horde shooter like Left 4, Day, Left 4 Dead, but it is also very different uh, in and of itself. Because in Left 4 Dead, typically what the mission is, is to get from point A to point B and escape the, the horde of zombies. The zombies are the predator and you are the prey. You have ways of fighting back, but the main goal is to just get out and, and find safety. Whereas in Redfall, the you know the vampires are there. You are the one hunting them. They don't know that you're coming for them. So you are the predator. And that gives you some unique gameplay um, instances that you don't necessarily get in a, other horde shooters like Left 4 Dead where you can set up traps to protect. Like your goal is to take these guys out, not necessarily to escape from them. And because they don't know that you're the predator and you're kind of skulking them, you can pick up on different conversations that they may be having with each other, which can point you into different directions that give you different insights on on the situations. Uh, they say there's a lot of the story and, and the kind of subplots are revealed through this eavesdropping as you sneak around, which is really, really nice. Overall, the game just looks really, really good. It looks like it has a lot more depth to it than I think a lot of people are giving credit for, uh, which is no surprise because Arcane is just known for creating these awesome sandboxes and stuff like that. I think it's getting written off a little bit uh, as kind of a left for dead with vampires. I think it has some elements of that, but based on everything we've seen in this panel and, and what we know of Arcane, I think that this game is going to be significantly more than just left for dead with vampires i do though think that they need to show us more show us long form gameplay like maybe show someone running through a side mission or maybe the first mission or or even better let's get someone a demo if, if this game is planning on launching in q1 or q2 of next year maybe have a demo at the game awards or something like that like left for dead the original left for dead that game came out of nowhere. It was from a developer nobody heard of. It was an IP that didn't exist prior. And they released a demo on Xbox 360 that everyone I knew played. And everyone bought the game because of that demo. Now, it's a different situation because you don't necessarily need to buy it if you have Game Pass. So there isn't that same barrier. But I still think a demo would do a lot for this game. And hopefully they come out with one. But that's all I have for today. Again, I apologize. There was no feature, but there was a ton of news in this video or this podcast story uh, or both, depending on how you're watching it, ended up being an hour long anyways, or almost an hour long. So I really appreciate uh, you sticking around, even though there wasn't an interesting feature or interesting discussion to have. Uh, hopefully we'll be back once I'm done from vacation with a, with an awesome feature to make up for it. Uh, until then, thank you for listening. Remember to have fun out there and I'll talk to you guys soon.